Thank you for listening to this podcast. In today's episode, while 2022 turned out to be a nervous year, 2023 will continue to be troubling for investors. My guest, Elliot Hentov of State Street Global Advisors, isn't very optimistic about the upcoming year, both in geopolitical and macroeconomic terms. Enough reason for a conversation about the global market outlook and its implications for investors. My name is Marije Groen, and a very warm welcome to you, Elliot. Marije, thank you for having me. Elliot, welcome again. Would you mind briefly sharing a bit more about yourself with our listeners? Sure. I'm head of global macro policy at State Street Global Advisors. We are the world's third largest asset manager. And what I do is I look at thematic macro drivers that are relevant for investors. And they tend to be a combination of policy impulses and macro responses. So policy in the broadest sense, uh, anything not only from the usual fiscal monetary side, but also geopolitics, trade, climate policy. And so I also serve as the company's chief geopolitical strategist. Right. So chief geopolitical uh, strategist, that triggers me. Did, did anything change in your role uh, since the conflict between Russia and Ukraine? Yes, my job security has gotten better. I'm, right. <laughs> I am right. very busy these days, unsurprisingly. So in the updated global market outlook of State Street Global Advisor, it says that 2023 will become or could become more problematic in terms of growth. Could you please explain that to us, Elliot? Sure. Again, let's, let's, we should be cautious here. This is not the end, end of the world or anything like that. It is simply a growth recession, a global growth recession. We think all the major economies of the world are going to decelerate, except for China, which is obviously coming out of a slowdown at some point, and we expect a reopening. Uh, so it's a downturn. It's not, a, we think in terms of magnitude, the recession will be quite harsh in Europe and the UK. Uh, we think it'll be very mild uh, in the US and, and elsewhere too. We think it'll be more an average of the run of the mill. Hmm. Now, you're particularly uh, concerned about the risk that the reopening fueled boom will give way to a bust induced by aggressive tightening. Why is that? Well, I think it's, it's not a surprise. Anybody who's uh, went shopping recently has seen the effects of inflation firsthand. The, mm -hmm. the, re the reaction to inflation has been to tighten monetary policy. That means the cost of capital goes up that starts to restrict credit, that starts to hit demand, and basically you get an economic uh, downturn. And that's basically what we're happening. It was happening. Uh, and so that's uh, the usual stuff. And that, that is necessary in order to bring inflation back down. Now, this inflation is a little bit different because it's largely driven uh, by supply side, particularly in Europe. In the US, it's more mixed. Uh, but at least even though it's supply side, you basically central bankers can only affect demand. So the idea is bring demand down so so strongly that inflation numbers start to come down too. Now, consumers in, in many developed markets, uh, markets still sit on substantial excess uh, savings. How is that going to help the economy, you think? Yeah, you say substantial. I think um, 
many of your listeners may think it's not that substantial. Mm -hmm. Basically, outside of the U.S., that most of the savings pile is no longer that great. And particularly when I say no longer that great, I'm factoring in already the coming months, uh, the higher energy bills. And so really, by the time winter is over, you'll only have residual savings pile largely in the U.S. and even in the U.S., mainly among higher-income Americans. Now, that is does matter for consumption because higher-income Americans have a, a higher share of consumption of the economy. But I would be wary of saying it's too much. Now, what it does mean is that it cushions some of the slowdown everywhere because, yes, you're getting hit by higher prices, but at the same time, many consumers have some savings to afford higher prices. And so basically, the... One of the reasons we think the recession in the U.S. should be mm -hmm. relatively mild is because household balance sheets are very strong. Right. And that's different to Europe. That is different to Europe. Although, again, yeah. uh, the policy should make some of the, the worst effects uh, a little bit milder. Mm. How should investors deal with the prospect of, of slower growth colliding with sharply higher inflation? Well, that's that's you're, you're asking about the here and now, which is... Growth, growth is coming down and we still have sharply higher inflation. But that's going to change next year. Inflation will come down, uh, growth will bottom out, and we'll actually get a bit of a reversal. So in the near term, obviously, investors should need to stay uh, conservatively positioned, uh, have a lot of cash or higher cash levels, maybe have some commodities to take advantage of those parts of the economy that benefit from inflation. Um, but at the same time, I would really advise investors to be ready, uh, to be ready to shift, because as the cycle turns, uh, a lot of the things will, will change. For instance, uh, long-duration bonds will suddenly become very attractive. We think that's an interesting uh, point. And then also even the more conventional uh, risk assets as equities, there will be a nice entry point in the not-too-distant future, uh, but not yet. Not yet. And that's always the question, right? When is that moment and are you soon enough to, to react? The end of the peace dividend could be slightly growth enhancing. Could you explain that to us? Yes. Well, the end of the peace dividend means uh, we, we move away from a world where, uh, particularly in Europe, it, it didn't ma matter about spending money on defense. Uh, and a lot of that savings on defense actually went into social welfare, a variety of public expenditures. Now, in the, the, for the recipients that may feel like that's a better choice, for, from a macro perspective, that's, that's always been a, a bit of a weakness. So the peace dividend, who actually got it? Well, some recipients of welfare got a little bit more welfare payment, and the big dividend went actually to... Um, corporations who were able to uh, enjoy a slightly fit better tax regime with a much better, frankly, trading and market environment. Now, so some of the peace dividend when then unwinds will shift. Now, you asked about the positive part, which is the growth enhancement. Well, when we take money away or when we shift it from current expenditures that are just consumed, whether that's pensions, whether that's uh, any social support program, and we put it into cap capital expenditures, we invest it. Over time, in, in generally, such investments are lift productivity growth and therefore are growth enhancing. Uh, but it's not on day one and it takes time. And in the process, usually 
uh, there's a lot of losers in that process. And so that, that is actually a headwind for the economy. So the growth will come, uh, but it's not instant. Mm. Um, we mentioned the war uh, at the beginning of this interview. The Russia-Ukraine war is actually the third shock to the global economic order in the past half decade, following uh, the Trump trade wars and the COVID pandemic. What impact has it had on the economy? Well, I think most of the impact is obvious stagflation. People have seen is high energy prices, high food prices, uh, and at the same time, uh, eroding growth. Um, but I think the, the big impact is really is that the whole talk and approach of deglobalization, uh, which was maybe just a talking point, uh, has now really accelerated. You can feel the global trading and economic order starting to fragment. And even if it doesn't tear apart, we don't go back to the Cold War. Uh, but we do. what we do is global markets are smaller, certain countries get closed, uh, certain sources of trade barriers get higher, certain sources of capital disappear. And all that means it, we're in a world that's less efficient, uh, less optimally allocated. Um, and th and that, that is a big shift for the global economy, which means basically we have a a slightly weaker, worse performing global economy going forward. It seems today that everything is being politicized. Uh, central banks are politicizing. Inflation targeting is partly political. The introduction of the digital euro, dollar, renminbi is political. And, and so is the energy transition as well. Has the economy become the puppet of geopolitical ambitions, would you say? I, it's strange how you phrase that. I would, I would always say that it was never, it was never any different. It's just that the geopolitics we had a very benign geopolitical cycle for thirty years, and so I think people have forgotten that you know geopolitics was a tailwind for un, until probably the middle of the last. It served as well for a long time. Exactly, yeah. and you know, obviously, uh, it was all it was going great. We had the communist bloc dismantle, liberalize their economies and join the global economy. We had China and India uh, adding to global labor supply and inclusion in global value chains. That's all been great. And now we're obviously at a different point in the geopolitical cycle and it's it's re returning. To it's not as nice. Yeah. But it's always a driver. I mean, if you start from yeah. fundamentals, what's the backdrop, the big order geopolitically, what's the global economic order? And then you can kind of work your way down gradually to your own economy and market and business. What we also see happening, the combined uh, energy and agricultural price shock uh, has in some cases the potential to be politically destabilizing. Um, what do you think we're going to see from that, Elliot? So to use metrics, uh, hard numbers, f food price inflation has a different share in different economies. And where, where you'll see it'll be most destabilizing in places where it's a high sh share of the consumer basket. And we've seen it. We've seen a default in Sri Lanka. We've seen problems in uh, Pakistan and a, a variety of other emerging and frontier markets. Uh, those will, will carry on. And frankly, that's a big worry for 2023 because it's not only food prices today, it's also the cost of fertilizers going up. So next year's crop, next year's crop will be more expensive as a result. And so that will carry on. Now, in developed markets, it will just add to the general malaise uh, that the public is feeling. And so you, you can get, you could get more election volatility in dem democratic states. And I, th I think to some degree, Brazil is an interesting story that you, you can see it can, it can, dr 
it enhances polarization in some ways because mm -hmm. it, it, it drives. In other places, it could actually uh, decrease polarization because you get a, a kind of a consensus building around inflation pressures. Right. Um, the war, uh, Russia-Ukraine war, and also severe US-led financial sanctions have raised doubts about the durability of the US dollar-centric monetary order. What, what's your take on that, Elliot? Uh, my uh, my take is that we should do a dedicated podcast on that, but I, I will summarize <laughs> it merits it very its simply. own uh, topic. Yeah, it's very poorly understood what upholds the U.S. dollar, but in many ways, the f capital financial flows that everybody's talking about of U.S. dollar century are a mirror of global trade flows. And until those change, the U.S. dollar-centric order remains intact. And so that until you tell me that commodity producers are not going to run surpluses and China is not going to run a large surplus, until then the U.S. dollar reigns supreme. Okay. And let's agree to, to, to get back to that in a, in a separate podcast. Um, the, the energy transition and also the adaptation to climate change are deeply intertwined uh, with geopolitical competition. Does that give a cause for concern? Why are you asking me questions that all deserve a separate podcast? Uh, <laughs> Because I want to make a series with you. <laughs> I, I, I did a, a very in-depth research project just on that one question last year. Mm -hmm. And again, trying to pack it into 30 seconds. The answer is that it's, it's very destabilizing because leadership in the energy transition is tied up into leadership and digitization and other technologies. So the geopolitics of um, that we have of competition are tied into the geopolitics of energy and digital. And that's that's a huge problem because what it's going to mean is you're going to get repeated disruptions and problems. So the supply shocks of COVID, the supply shock of the Ukraine war, there's more to come in that space. Elliot, we, we've discussed the global economy, we've looked at uh, geopolitics. What are your top level or your key takeaways for investors? Well, uh, rates are moving higher fast and we live in a world of great uncertainty. So suddenly cash becomes more appealing. Uh, obviously, you cannot have your portfolio invested in cash, but you know, cash is something that for 10, 12 years, we all avoided to have altogether. Like, Please don't give me cash. I need to. I need to do something with it. Uh, that has changed. So that that buys you some time uh, uh, to, to to make the tougher choices. Within related to that, we we still like commodities. They partially hedge for higher inflation, and particularly they're they're not correlated with uh, other financial markets in the way that bonds and stocks are now together. Within stocks, obviously, relative value opportunities are a little bit more attractive. And as I mentioned, you know, the, this is not the end of the world. This is a, a downturn. There are, are still very cash flow positive, profitable companies that have quality uh, characteristics that, are, that remain attractive to hold or to, to, to buy into. And finally, again, if we do think the monetary cycle is close to peaking, then suddenly a long duration bonds become very attractive again. We're reaching the end of this podcast, but maybe we can finish uh, the interview with a brief financial markets uh, tour. And I'd like to ask you to briefly outline the opportunities for each asset class in, in 2023, if that's okay. Um, 
Let's start with the equities market. You believe an overweight to equities continues to be justified, right? Yeah, we're, we're, we're st- we still have a slight overweight in equities overall in our portfolio uh, for the reasons I just mentioned, which is that, uh, yes, there's, there's a slowdown. And within the equity portfolio, that's where we've made a lot of changes, both in terms of geographical exposure and also in terms of the relative uh, factors or characteristics that, 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 that we think will perform better in this type of environment. Hmm. And at the same time, you remain conservative with uh, fixed income and are focused on, on timing the turn. What exactly does timing the turn mean? I think we, I referred to it earlier. It's, it's either too late or, <laughs> or too soon. Yeah, so the interesting thing is I, I mentioned long duration bonds for a while. And historically, basically, the long, the, there's a peak in 10-year rates and longer a few months before central banks actually reach the peak of their hiking cycle. I think historically, I think in the US, the 10-year is, off the top of my mind, it's roughly three months prior. And so if you think about that, where we are, it's November, um, we are clearly just months away from uh, the Fed hitting the peak, which means that the the rates on the longer end will peak very a few months earlier, perhaps even right now. And as there's an economic slowdown, those rates will decline, which makes obviously uh, bonds, holding bonds at that end more attractive. So that's what timing the cycle is. Where, how could you get caught out? I think it's, it's a pretty easy trade right now. You could get caught out if for some reason inflation stays stickier and higher for longer. And I'll mention here that we are in the camp that really believes there's a big, big disinflationary wave about to show up on our shores that will bring down those numbers. Mm. Elliot, you expect the structural bull market in commodities will continue to lead to elevated prices, right? Yes. Uh, it's. I would be cautious, though. If you uh, Commodities, I would separate energy and metals, and within metals, I'd make big dis- distinctions. We like commodities because even in energy, there's no reason for why prices should go down a lot. That does not mean we expect a multi-year super cycle, but we think prices will remain elevated. In parts of the metals complex, we actually think there's a, a super cycle building. And so that will be with us probably for a half or maybe a full decade. Uh, and so overall, the commodities complex as a whole is a nice hedge against high inflation. And again, it's not it's one of the few areas of low correlation these days uh, with Uh, the, with other risk assets. So we find it has holds great appeal. Okay. Um, now, lastly, you believe that many emerging market countries are in a decent position to weather a world of tighter liquidity and increased uncertainty. Um, could you tell us what countries we are talking about? Yeah, it's been hard to be excited about emerging markets. And the reality is since early 2020, I've, I've not liked that asset class of because of all the problems that, that come with it. The advantage this time is that the structural weaknesses are better. So current account deficits um, and so forth are, are smaller than they have been in the past. The second thing is that these central banks, they did not wait until 2022 to get, get started. They've actually been tightening all through 2021. And so you actually there, in many cases, we already have Uh, rates coming down quite rapidly. In, in. And finally, for some emerging markets, particularly ones that were unloved, 
the war has been a blessing. You know, a lot of them are, are net food exporters or net energy exporters. And so you've had a, a, a positive terms of trade shock in, in parts of the emerging market. So that's particularly Latin America, uh, which I really w- was out of favor for many years and for good reason, uh, whether that's... Now, even geopolitically, a country like Mexico is benefiting from the world around it. And that goes for a few of the other countries. Obviously, domestic policy choices matter. Um, and otherwise, parts of Southeast Asia also look relatively good uh, from the EM perspective. Thank you. We'll wrap it up with that, uh, Elliot. Thank you so much uh, for being here with me and for talking about the global outlook. Um, and I would say hope to welcome you back and, and talk more about the uh, the items that uh, you said you had so much more to share on. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. I would like to thank today's guest, Elliot Hentov, for his global outlook. This podcast is offered to you by State Street Global Advisors. It was recorded as part of a series dedicated to the Outlook event of Investment Officer. For more podcasts, please visit investmentofficer.nl forward slash podcasts. And if you'd like to know more about State Street Global Advisors, please visit ssga.com forward slash nl. Disclaimer, marketing communication, for institutional and or professional investors use only. Netherlands, State Street Global Advisors Netherlands, Apollo Building 7th Floor, Herikerberg Weg 29, 1101 CN Amsterdam, Netherlands. Telephone, plus 31-20-7181-000. State Street Global Advisors Netherlands is a branch office of State Street Global Advisors Europe Limited, Registered in Ireland with company number 49-93-4, authorized and regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland, and whose registered office is at 78 Sir John Rogerson's Key, Dublin 2. Investing involves risk including the risk of loss of principal. The whole or any part of this work may not be reproduced, copied or transmitted or any of its contents disclosed to third parties without SSGA's express written consent. All information is from SSGA unless otherwise noted and has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy, reliability or completeness of, nor liability for, decisions based on such information and it should not be relied on as such. The information provided does not constitute investment advice as such term is defined under the Markets in Financial Instruments Directive, 2014, 65, EU, or applicable Swiss regulation and it should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell any investment. It does not take into account any investors or potential investors' particular investment objectives, strategies, tax status, risk appetite or investment horizon. If you require investment advice you should consult your tax and financial or other professional advisor. The information contained in this communication is not a research recommendation or investment research and is classified as a marketing communication in accordance with the Markets in Financial Instruments Directive, 2014, 65, EU, or applicable Swiss regulation. This means that this marketing communication, 
has not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, and is not subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This communication is directed at professional clients. This includes eligible counterparties as defined by the appropriate EU regulator who are deemed both knowledgeable and experienced in matters relating to investments. The products and services to which this communication relates are only available to such persons and persons of any other description, including retail clients, should not rely on this communication. Equity securities may fluctuate in value and can decline significantly in response to the activities of individual companies in general market and economic conditions. Bonds generally present less short-term risk and volatility than stocks, but contain interest rate risk. As interest rates raise, bond prices usually fall. Issuer default risk, issuer credit risk, liquidity risk, and inflation risk. These effects are usually pronounced for longer-term securities. Any fixed income security sold or redeemed prior to maturity may be subject to a substantial gain or loss. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be considered investment advice or an offer for a particular security or securities. The views and opinions expressed by the speaker are those of his or her own as of the date of the recording, and do not necessarily represent the views of State Street or its affiliates. Any such views are subject to change at any time based upon market or other conditions and State Street disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice, and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of State Street. Neither State Street nor the speaker can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered. Please consult your tax or financial advisor for additional information concerning your specific situation. This podcast cannot be used for commercial purposes, and should only be used in the specific countries as restrictions exist with some products and services marketed globally. Copyright 2022 State Street Corporation. All rights reserved. Expiration date, 31st of January 2023.